Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. I'm glad you're here to worship together. And I'll tell you what, all week long, I have really been looking forward to this morning because I am excited about what we're going to see in God's Word today. Uh, But before I do anything else, I I just want to take a moment to pray because our world is in turmoil right now. I mean, it was so disturbing to see the attacks on the people of Israel last weekend, and now it's disturbing to see that the Middle East seems to be headed for more war and more suffering. And sometimes we don't know exactly what to pray, and when I get to that place, I often look to the Psalms, and this week I've been reading Psalm 122, and I wanted to share some of that with you here. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. So let's pray along with that psalm. Father, we we look to you right now. You are where our help comes from. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and this whole region, this place that is so close to your heart. And Lord, I know uh, for peace to come, uh, that, that means uh, people need to surrender to you. And I pray for that to happen. I pray that your kingdom will come and your will would be done, not only in Israel, or, or that area of the world, but also here and in our hearts. I pray as we look to your word today that you will speak to us, that we will listen and respond. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are starting a new sermon series today. Uh, we're going to take three weeks to go through a short book in the New Testament, Second Peter. And this book is actually a letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul, one of the famous disciples of Jesus. And at the time Peter wrote this letter, he was a respected leader in the church. And and as you might guess by the name of this book, 2 Peter is kind of a sequel. There was a 1 Peter. And in that book, he's writing to a group of persecuted Christians. And he's writing to encourage them. And encourage them to stand strong in the face of opposition, in, in the midst of suffering. And he's saying it's worth it. Stay faithful to the end. And now, as, as Peter writes the second letter, he's close to his own end. He doesn't have very long to live. And before he dies, he has some final words for the church. He has some important messages that he wants to share. And so we're going to read some of these important messages, and and Peter's words very much apply to the church today. Now, the title of today's sermon is Work Hard. And I know that might not sound like this is going to be a fun sermon, but I'm telling you, don't let the title scare you. What we're talking about today is nothing short of amazing. So let's get to it. Uh, This morning we're going to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, just nine verses. And remember, Peter is writing specifically to other followers of Jesus. That's important here. And he challenges them to live in a way that honors God. And that challenge lines up specifically, really well, with something we talked about last week. Uh, In last week's sermon, you might remember, uh, we, we went over our primary purpose in life, which is this. 
We exist to bring glory to God. That's why he created us. Now, that purpose statement is kind of general, uh, but Peter's going to get more specific. So let's read here. Chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Peter says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. And through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, there are several mind-blowing concepts in just these two verses, but we're going to focus on just one. Uh, Let's look at the first few words in verse 3 here. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Okay, so what's our primary purpose in life? Our primary purpose is to bring glory to God. And if we're going to bring Him glory, we need to live a godly life. That's what He wants us to do. So what does it mean to live a godly life? Well, that means we need to take on God's character. Uh, We need to develop His virtues, things like goodness and self-control and love. Now, you and I both know, whenever human beings like us try to live up to God's perfect standard, we fail. We fall far short. But look at these words again. God's divine power, the the same power that created this universe, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, That same power is available to us. And because of that, we do have the potential to live a godly life. However, as we're about to see, we will never reach our potential without hard work. Now, the truth is, we're all familiar with this concept. We've seen this formula play out. Potential plus hard work can lead to amazing results. Uh, For example, what does it take to be a great musician? Not everyone makes it to to that uh, level. So what does it take to really be great? Well, first you need some God-given talent, some some natural ability. Uh, And we see that in our worship team up here. Uh, Every one of the members of our worship team got this potential from God to play an instrument or sing very, very well. But no one starts out as a virtuoso. What do you have to do to fulfill your potential? You have to practice a lot. It's hard work. There's no way around that. We also see this concept in sports. Uh, God gives some people the ability to be a great athlete. Uh, But you don't begin life as an all-star. You don't get to that place where you're reaching your potential without hard work. Uh, Over the past couple months, I've seen this in my son, Luke. Now, Luke is a freshman, and he runs on the cross-country team at Campbell County High School. And back in the summer, his coach gave him a goal. By the end of the season, Luke was supposed to run a 5K, 3.1 miles, in less than 20 minutes. And when I heard that goal, I was amazed Because a few years ago, I set that same goal for myself. Unfortunately, though, 
my middle-aged body told me it was a little too late to reach that goal. Uh, I, I injured my feet, then I had knee problems, and I had hip problems. Uh, so it's not going to happen. I've, I've accepted that. These days I still run, but man, I am slow. Now, occasionally, some parents get accused of living vicariously through their kids, especially in sports. And I guess I have to come clean because I'm guilty of that. Uh, all season long, I was like, let's go, Luke. I can't reach this goal anymore, but you can. Do it for the Hartley name. I was saying that in my head, not out loud. Now, in the first meet of the season, Luke ran a 5K in uh, 21 minutes and 40 seconds. So he had a long way to go. But guess what? That cross-country team, they work hard. They practice hard. And so it came to pass that on September 19th, Luke ran a 5K in 19 minutes and 50 seconds. I was so pumped. I know he's not embarrassed at all right now, but I, I, I'll tell you what, I am super proud of that boy. So like I said, you would have your own examples. We've all seen this formula. Potential plus hard work can lead to amazing results. And that's true not only in music and sports, it's also true in our spiritual lives. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.8. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. So yeah, music is great. Sports are great. But it's far more important to work hard at godliness, because that's our primary purpose, right? That's one way we can honor God and bring him glory. And that takes us back to 2 Peter. Uh, let's pick up where we left off and read verses 5 through 7. Peter says, For this very reason, make every effort, and there it is, effort, hard work, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. Now, I could spend a lot of time defining each one of these characteristics, but really it's not that complicated. Um, goodness is about living a life of integrity, uh, knowledge is not just knowing important things about Jesus, it's knowing Jesus in a personal and relational way. Uh, Self-control, that's the ability to keep yourself in check. Perseverance is you, you just keep on keeping on even when it gets tough. Godliness, we've talked about, that's developing God's character. Mutual affection is brotherly love. The original word here is Philadelphia, brotherly love. And then the word love at the end of the verse, that refers to God's kind of love, agape love. An author named Sally Lloyd-Jones calls it a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So these are the qualities we're supposed to develop. But like I said earlier, when normal people try to live up to God's standard, we always fall short. So what can we do? How, how can we develop these characteristics and virtues? How can we reach our potential? Well, there are many things to consider here, and we need to be careful because it's easy to misunderstand what Peter is saying. We need to take this passage, we need to read this passage alongside the rest of Scripture, put it into context, 
Which brings me to a chart that I want to share with you. Now, true confession. I love maps. I love charts. I'm, I'm a visual learner. And I try not to use them too much when I'm up here because I know not everyone is like me. But uh, I want to show you this chart because it may just be my favorite chart of all time. Uh, I was introduced to this over 20 years ago by one of my seminary professors, Dr. Jack Cottrell. I've never forgotten it. So here, here we go. This is the chart of my life. And let's get our bearings here. This box represents your life. Over on the left edge, that represents your birthday. <laughs> on the far right, that represents the day of your death. Now, this chart really measures just one important quality. It tracks your level of goodness over time. As a person, how good or how bad are you? And to measure your goodness, we have a blue line. Now, that blue line goes up and down as you go through life. If, if the blue line is way down at the bottom, you're flat out evil. You are 100% bad. But if the blue line's all the way up to the top, you're, you're perfect, 100% good. Now, this particular chart represents someone who is kind of struggling to be a good person. You see that, right? At this point, they're below 50%. And that may seem like a, a pretty low number, but the reality is we're often uh, not as good as we think we are. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah said this. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's beyond cure. And he's right, because our hearts will sometimes lead us to do the wrong thing. Then other times, our hearts will lead us to do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. Both of those are sin. So it doesn't matter who you meet. The Bible says all of us have sinned. All of us fall short of the glory of God. No one comes close to reaching that standard of 100% perfection. So where does that leave us? Well, at one time or another in life, we all ask the same question. Here's the question. Am I good enough? Do I measure up? And if you believe in God, you're, you're asking this. You're saying, does God think I'm good enough? Do I measure up in His eyes? And how could we possibly answer that question? Well, many people come up with an imaginary standard. It's, it's a made-up goal. Uh, that, that line where we hope it would be considered good enough. It's, it's below perfection because nobody's perfect. But it's high enough that you hope God would say, all right, good effort. Nice job. You made the cut. You are invited to live with me forever in heaven. Now, let's say the person represented in this chart sincerely wants to be a good person. So they work really hard. They try to be kind and compassionate. Uh, they try to be patient. They try to resist temptation of every kind. And look at that blue line. We see some good news there, right? Because that line is moving up. This person is becoming better. But there's also some bad news, isn't there? Even though there's been some progress, that individual is still far below that standard of perfection. 
They're not even close to that imaginary made-up standard of good enough. So what can this person do? Just keep trying and hope for the best? Go through life never quite knowing that you're good enough? Well, uh, a lot of people do that. Uh, That's a common response. But there is no hope in that. Because there's only one way we can be accepted by God. To be accepted by God, we need to be 100% free of sin. 90% good is not good enough. 99% good is not good enough. And that leads some people to say, man, why would God put this impossible standard on us? We don't have it in us to be perfect. So why would he punish us for failing to meet his expectations when we're not able to do it? Seems cruel. But this is where we need to understand God's holiness. God is 100% good. He is 100% pure. He is set apart in complete holiness. But now think about this. What What would happen if God said, hey, I see you and I see your sin And I have decided to just look the other way. We're going to sweep this under the rug and pretend it never happened. No judgment, no punishment. What what would be the problem with God doing that? Well, if, if God does that, he's no longer a God of justice. He would no longer be 100% good if he allows wrong to go unpunished. So that's why the standard has to be so high. Because of God's justice, he can't accept us until our sins are paid for and removed. The penalty for sin is death. And if that's where the story ends, we have no hope. But as many of you know, that's not where the story ends. There's an amazing plot twist in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, all of us people who are so messed up, the people who fail again and again, he he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Somebody had to pay for my sin. I could do it, but that means eternal separation from God. And Jesus saw that, and he said, I will pay. Even though he didn't do anything wrong, he had no sins to to pay for, he decided to take our place. He went to the cross and he laid down his life and he paid the price that we deserve to pay. And through Jesus, God offers us this amazing gift. He says, I will give you the opportunity to jump right up to the top of that chart. You can be 100% forgiven You can be completely righteous in my eyes because Jesus paid the price to set you free. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the greatest gift you could ever receive. It's actually more than a gift. It's a whole new life. And now we have a new line on the chart. This new line, this new life in Christ brings this red line from the bottom, 0% forgiven, 
to the top, 100% forgiven. That's what we're measuring with that red line. And that jump doesn't happen because of anything you have done. You're forgiven because of what Jesus has done. It's a free gift. But now we need to understand, we need to be clear on something. How do we receive this gift? Well, Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, we're saved by grace. That's what the original word for grace means. It's a gift that brings joy. We're saved by grace, but through faith. And the word faith, that's one of the most important words in the whole Bible. What does it mean? Faith is not just believing in Jesus. It includes that. But faith is not just believing in Jesus. It's belief plus trust. It's saying, Jesus, I put all of my trust in you. I put my life and my future in your hands. Now, in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, when someone puts their faith in Jesus, we see that person take several steps. For one thing, uh, that person declares or confesses that Jesus is now their Lord, their master. He's the boss. He's running the show. You're saying, I'm going to do whatever Jesus wants me to do. So that's one thing you see. Uh, When a person puts their faith in Jesus, they also repent. They turn away from their old life. They stop doing the things that God does not want us to do, and they start doing the things that please God. And then, uh, finally, in the New Testament, when someone puts their faith in Jesus, they're baptized or they're immersed in water. Uh, That baptism marks the death of your old life and the beginning of new life in Christ. And now we need to tell the rest of the story. For this person who begins new life in Christ, what do things look like from there? Well, we just read about this in 2 Peter chapter 1. We, we know what's supposed to happen. Remember that? Peter gave us a list of qualities that we need to develop. He said, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. That is a very impressive list. If you manage to develop all of those virtues, all of those characteristics, you will be perfect. Another way to say that would be to Christ-likeness. You're like Jesus in your words and your actions and even in your thoughts. But hold on. Look at that blue line. The red line is still all the way up at the top, which is great. But the blue line isn't close to the top. So how do we get there? Well, we read about that too, didn't we? Peter said, God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. So as you begin this new life in Christ, God gives you the potential and the power to grow in goodness. That power comes directly from the Holy Spirit, from God's presence within you. Through the Spirit, God gives you everything you need. However, and this is a big however, the Holy Spirit doesn't do everything for you. Growing to be like Jesus requires effort. It's hard work. God gives us the ability to grow, but we have to work at it. That's exactly what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Now, 
If we read just this one verse, we might assume that uh, this hard work is all on our shoulders. But that's not the case. We have to keep reading. Verse 12 says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. But verse 13 says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire to grow, giving you the power to do what pleases him. So this is a partnership, isn't it? We do have to work hard, but God is also working. It's kind of like the relationship between a gardener and a plant. A plant has the potential and the power to grow within itself, but the gardener also plays a very important role. What does the gardener do? That gardener uh, makes sure the plant has enough water, enough sunlight. Uh, The gardener also pulls weeds and fights off pests. But now, at the end of the day, does the gardener make the plant grow? Not really. That plant grows because God makes it grow. He is the source of life. And it's similar with us. In our spiritual lives, these two things coexist. We have to put in the work, just like that gardener, but then God is the one who brings true growth. So back to our chart. If you are a healthy Christian and you're really growing in your faith, what should we expect to see from that blue line? Should it start moving upward toward Christ-likeness, developing all those qualities that Peter talked about? Absolutely, yes. But it's interesting. It's not going to be a straight line. It's not continual progress up and to the right. I have a sample of what healthy spiritual growth looks like. Now remember, the blue line, that's your level of goodness. That's your actual behavior. And and this is fascinating, because even after you begin that new life in Christ, the blue line still fluctuates. And why is that? Well, it's pretty simple. You're still human. Uh, You still have those moments where you fail. We all struggle with sin our entire lives. And you might start out strong, but every now and then you're going to have some setbacks But here's what's really amazing. Possibly my favorite part of this whole chart. As that blue line goes up and down, what's happening with the red line? It stays right at the top. 100% forgiven. This is the power of God's grace. You don't bounce back and forth between 100% forgiven and 0%. You, you go through those highs and lows knowing that God's grace is enough. His grace is sufficient for you. Now, as time goes by, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work and you put in the work yourself, you should see a general trend toward Christ-likeness. That's what we're seeing here. Two years from now, you should see some progress from where you are today. And it's a good idea to ask someone else to help you gauge that growth. Uh, Find another Christian you can trust, someone who knows you well, and ask that person, what are you seeing in me? Are are you seeing me grow? Are are you seeing me develop more goodness and self-control and perseverance and godliness? People around you should be able to see that growth. Overall, should be making progress. Now, earlier I mentioned that it's easy to misunderstand how all of this works. 
So I need to take a second to address that. First, I want to look at a chart that belongs to a different person. (laughs) Now, this individual, they made the decision to follow Jesus. At least everybody thought they did. But then, what happened next? Where did that blue line go? Stayed pretty flat, didn't it? Actually, it takes a downward turn at the end. So what's going on here? Well, this is the kind of person who says, all right, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want. This is the kind of person who might go, on, go out on Saturday night, get drunk, go wild, and then get up on Sunday morning, go to church and say, thank you, God, for forgiving me. Thanks so much for that. I guess we'll do this again next weekend. So what should we think about people like that? Are they really forgiven? (laughs) Well, that question gets into God's territory, and I I let him take care of that. But I would have to say, in the case of this individual, we'd have some serious doubts, because the Bible's clear on this. Uh, When a person actually puts their faith in Jesus, we'll see some results We'll see some evidence of that faith. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. Now, you don't earn your salvation by doing good things. You also don't keep your salvation by doing good things. But if your faith is genuine, you will be doing good things more and more over time. You will put in the work and you'll grow to be more like Jesus. So that's one way to get off track. We can act like sin is just no big deal. We can refuse to do the work. However, there's another way to get this wrong. Uh, Let's look at one more chart. What do we have here? Well, in this case, we do have a straight line. Straight up. Going to the right and going, uh, making lots of progress. But this time it's a dotted line. And why is that? Well, this is a one, another one of those imaginary lines. If, if you're this person, you're working really hard to prove your own goodness. And other people may think of you as a good person. You may think of yourself as a good person. But the sad reality is that goodness is only on the surface. It's a mirage. Let's, let's look at the real blue line here. That's the reality. This person thinks they're way up there when they're actually way down here. Now, this is what happens when you ignore the Holy Spirit and you're trying to do all the work yourself. You may look good on the outside, but what happens is you fill up with pride. You think of yourself pretty highly and you look down on others and you get very negative, very critical And you forget about the fact that you need grace just as much as everyone else does. Can you think of anyone in the Bible who had this problem? Maybe a group of people? For me, I think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees portrayed themselves as righteous, but Jesus said, nah, all of you are like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead bones and rotten flesh. It's pretty harsh. So how did the Pharisees end up that way? Well, they were aiming for perfection, but they never really surrendered to God because 
If you're really letting the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, He will convict you of sin. Every kind of sin, including that inner pride. So, we need to avoid both of these errors. The first one says, I'm not doing any work. The second one says, look at me, I'm doing all the work. God's plan is for us to work together. That's how we grow in goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and genuine love. That's how we grow to be more like Jesus. And listen to what Peter says next. He says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them, these qualities, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So Peter says, this growth is critical. It's crucial. Without it, you will never amount to much as a Christian. You won't make the impact that God wants you to make in this world. You you won't help advance God's kingdom. You won't help lead people to Jesus. In fact, uh, you're likely to lead people away from Jesus. But look at verse 9. There's a very important concept here. If you call yourself a Christian, but you're not growing in these areas, that means you forgot what Jesus did for you. Remember that red line? Remember that huge jump from 0% forgiven to 100%? How did that happen? Did we make it happen? Absolutely not. This change is only possible because of Jesus. It's only possible because Jesus came into this world as a humble servant. And he allowed himself to be arrested and tortured and crucified despite the fact that he had done nothing wrong. He, He was completely innocent. So do you see it? This is our motivation. This is why we work so hard to grow toward Christ-likeness. We don't work hard to earn our salvation. We don't work hard to keep our salvation. We work hard as a response to what Jesus has done for us. It's a response of gratitude and love. Peter closes this section by looking to the future. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort, there it is again, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. In other words, let your life show that God has called you and that you have responded to his call. And then finally, Peter says, for if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the finish line. That's what we all train for. A rich welcome into Christ's kingdom. Now, over the next two weeks, Peter will help us be ready. He'll help us make the most of our time on earth so that we can be ready to enter that eternal kingdom. Now today, my challenge for you is very simple. Just read this book. Read all of 2 Peter. And uh, you're going to see some strange things in there. Uh, But as you read that book, just ask God a simple question. What do you want me to work on this week? What do you want me to work on this week? 
that work that God gives you, it might not be easy. It might be hard. But I'll tell you what, it's worth it. It's very worth it. Let's pray. Father, it's so good to look at your word and see uh, what you've done for us, what Jesus has done. We're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for your grace. We could never get to you on our own, but I thank you that you've made it possible. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us who have found that new life, that you'll also help us to grow and that we will realize that we got to put in the work too. And Lord, I pray that uh, over time we will just grow closer to being who you want us to be, doing what you want us to do, representing you well so that we can lead more people to Jesus. I, praise these, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.